no chance. What's up, everybody? Episode 57 of the No Chance Podcast. As always, your hosts, Ryan and Nate. Yeah, I want to, I want to say this real quick. We are coming off a major high right now. Like, like not like through drugs, but yeah. like a high off just like possibly, energy though, high. Possibly drugs. Let's talk about this real quick because yeah. we've been, we reference this all the time in every episode and we never really fell through with it. So I feel like we have to tell the story. But we actually had like an unofficial, official one year party yeah um <laughs> it was it was pretty amazing yeah it was, it was pretty it amazing was, yeah it was great i i had so much fun that night and it was actually thrown by our girlfriends like yeah. it was like a shout out to them a surprise um combination party and it was like man like to to think that like there are we don't we don't think that people listen to us when we we speak about hypotheticals. Yeah, they don't. Right? <laughs> so it was definitely a moment for us to be able to reflect on the things that we've done in the past year. I mean, they created like let me let me just set the scene real quick. There was stickers, right? Somebody made a stickers of just like graphics that sort of embodied um, us as a podcast, t-shirts which is literally blew my mind of like what I mean it's easy to make t-shirts but in all reality it's not that it's easy a lot to of work it, yeah. yeah you got to make yeah. a design you got to find a screen printer you got to have an idea that alone is takes effort and to see that to see something that's manifested onto a t-shirt is pretty fucking amazing posters posters I mean, posters just like uh, it felt like a an art show slash like like first collection of like your merchandise i felt like we were like a like our own pop-up but we right. didn't even know we were having exactly a pop-up. Yeah. it was very very extreme yeah um and to that note i mean like to those that have been listening to us since day one like thank you like me and nate spoke about this during the party it's like we've come a very very long way and it's only been a year but there was a lot of things that we've learned a lot of things that we've done and to be able to reflect on a year's worth of work and to see that it's pretty fucking amazing. It puts things into perspective. Yeah. It's like, damn, like we still got a long way to go, but the road that we've traveled so far is it's been pretty epic. Yep. In my it's, opinion. It's the first but not the last party. That's exactly, for sure. exactly. So it's 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 a taste of of things to come. But to those that have been listening since day one, thank you. And to new listeners, welcome to episode fifty seven. I mean, if you don't know already, we just talk about streetwear and other bullshit and everything that pertains to it. So um, in this episode, I think we want to talk about a little bit about um, skateboarding real quick. Yeah. 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 So RIP to the God, Sandy Bodecker. I saw piece. I saw you post something yeah. uh, recently about him. Um, for those who don't know, Sandy Bodecker was the I think let me let me get this straight. VP or or director of special projects within uh, Nike. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, and he used to be, I guess his title was general manager of both Nike SB, Nike Skateboarding. Yeah. Uh, I think action sports too. So I think when back when Nike oh, was big into snowboarding too. I and, think there uh, was a BMX. 
Yeah. Yeah. Remember the whole Nike 5.0 yeah, like thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I used to think those are so whack. Yeah, they kind of were. But it was like <laughs> it, it took silhouettes from like Nike shoes and just like elaborated on them a little bit more, more chunkier, etc. Um, but Sandy Bodecker, literally the the pioneer of Nike skateboarding, literally what he's known for most. Obviously, he's had his hand within Nike soccer and other divisions as well that were never really you know, brought to fruition back in the early 2000s. But as like a little bit of an origin story, if you don't know his name, and to be honest, I've only learned of his name fairly recently. Um, I think it was a documentary on Nike SB that really brought him to the forefront of my mind in regards to who he was. But it's, it's actually a pretty amazing story in, in who this guy is because Sandy Bodecker basically is the one that made Nike skateboarding shoes cool. And if you know anything about Nike skateboarding shoes, in the late 90s, Nike was seen as, I wouldn't say gimmicky, but as like, uh, like an, isn't like a authoritarian, uh, like an authority in, in all things that skateboarders didn't like. Yeah, they were kind of like elitist. Everything, yeah, they were kind of like everything that skateboarding didn't stand for. Exactly. Yeah. So the first renditions of Nikes um, were completely out of the realm of what skateboarders liked. Obviously, in the late '90s, skateboarding was very much geared towards companies like DC Audio. S vans. These are the things that people wore. Chunky shoes um, were all the way back in the in the in the in the late nineties. So, I mean, albeit people did skate in. I've oh, seen oh, like yeah. in the nineties, like I've seen people skate like all kinds of Nike shoes, like yeah. even Jordans at one oh, point. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But like you were saying, it was predominantly like uh, like audio, like yeah. just brands like that. You know, it was it was during that time though, it um, in the late nineties when when Nike tried to be you know, uh, ingrained into the the skateboarding culture, it, it, there wasn't a person that knew what skaters needed. So, like when we speak on this idea of skaters wearing Jordans and stuff, and I think this was like a, like late eighties, mid eighties, like yeah. when the first like Jordan ones came out. We've all seen the pictures of the of people skating in Jordan ones. They're like literally my my favorite like yeah. imagery of, of that time, but. It's what skaters needed: ankle collar support. They needed something that was just like sleek in design. Yeah, like something like good board feel, grippy. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the Jordan one was that. But when it was implemented in the in the late nineties, um, there was actually a, a skateboard shoe called the Chode. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, the SB. It wasn't called SB at the time, but just the Nike Chode was a shoe that was advertised to skaters as like, hey, this is our our first at bat with, you know, skateboarding. What do you guys think? And what do you think skateboarders said? It's like, throw them shits Fuck away. Fuck off, dude. right? Yeah. I think the whole mentality behind, like, Nike trying to move into the skateboarding culture, quote unquote, is that Nike is very, even back then in the 90s, it was very, obviously, like, it's a lot bigger now, but it was very corporate back then. Of and, course. you know, like, of course, skateboarding, skateboarding culture is all is all about, like, anti-corporation like fuck you like we're just gonna do whatever we want we don't yeah. need somebody like big like this to tell us what to do tell us what to wear things like that you it's know? that conglomerate aspect that really turns off anti-establishment mentality people for example skateboarders so it, when you have a company like nike approaching a company like adidas approaching 
especially in that time when skateboarding was like back on the uprise of becoming, you know, one of the leading action sports. It's it's that mentality of like, we don't fucking need you guys. We want brands that are skater owned and, you know, run by skaters, basically. So <laughs> after that time passes in the late 90s, you get to around the mid 2000s. Was it 2002? 2000, yeah, 2002. 2002. Yeah. Um, Nike tries to you know, revamp that whole project of, you know, there's this aspect that's, that's underutilized this, the skateboarding culture and how could we get in there? Because skaters are kind of like pioneers of, of being individuals, uh, being creative in, in what makes them special. Yeah. So Sandy Bodecker, who originally starts as a, um, I think he's a, like a footwear tester or something like that. Yeah, he was a product tester for Product Nike. tester. Mm -hmm. He jumps into this role as just managing projects that are kind of on the, the lower scale. So um, at the time, soccer wasn't very big with, with Nike, obviously, because Adidas has such a, a huge correlation to, um, I mean, only being integrated with that of, of, of Europe culture already. Uh, within Germany, but Nike didn't have a foothold in, in, in either of these places. So they had tasked him with the idea of, hey, we want you to push skateboarding, uh, push Nike skateboarding shoes to skaters, and we want it to succeed. And so that basically turns into him establishing relationships. And I think this is, uh, and you tell me, I think this is one of the, the core pieces of why Nike SB was able to succeed is because Sandy Bodecker established those relationships with people that were the, I guess, I guess the Mount Rushmore of skateboarding at the time. Yeah, I agree. If you look at his like past projects um, and just people that he's been connected with, he's connected with like all the brands that are quintessential yeah. like skateboarding brands of that era and still are today like anti-hero yeah. supreme like yeah. you name it like he's you know he's connected with these people and i think that's what made nike sb so authentic is that he really tried to figure out what skaters wanted yeah. as opposed to just like oh maybe this is what they'll like i'm gonna push it if it, they don't fuck with it then whatever you know yeah it's about asking them what they want yeah because you i mean I don't, I mean, speaking as a skater, you, I don't want any, like, I don't want anything fed to me. You know, I, I want to eat what I want to eat where it's all about, I'm going to do what I like to do and I'm going to wear what I like to wear. So if he actually does the research and says like, what do you guys think of this? What can I change differently? And really getting into the mind of what a skater needs and wants, that's going to produce a successful line for these people. So with the first sort of implementation of Nike SB, going to these accounts that are all very well known today, but back then were just, you know, regular skate shops, like going to the deluxe, going to the slam city skates, going to, um, oh, there's, there's so many, like there's so many of these, of these, these, these skateboard brands and companies that, I mean, to this day release some of the best collaborations, but at the time he just saw them as being forward thinking within that industry. So establishing, establishing relationships early on really brought Nike SB to where it is today. And now if you look at it, like you just said, you see like the, he, he brought on that Supreme collaboration, that New York collaboration. Yeah. He brought in the, 
the aspect of shoes that, and you mentioned this, that skaters liked from day one, which are the, the dunks, the Air Jordan ones, because they provided what it is that skaters needed. So it took a guy like him to really think about, all right, what shoes are they like? I'm going to make those shoes and add capabilities that make skateboarding easier and more comfortable for people. And what, I mean, what shoes did he end up like making really popular? Blazers. Blazers. Of course, like the, 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 dunks. the dunk. Yeah. Right. And then readapting shoes into, into silhouettes that made a lot of sense. So if you, if you guys know, you know, you, you know, the shoes, you know, the whole lineage of Nike SB dunks and, and, and sort of that popularity. But let me ask you a question real quick before we get into the impact of, of, of really the, the, the real impact of, of this movement in, in regards to streetwear, what were some of your favorite Nike SBs growing up? Um, cause there's a lot. Hemp's. Ooh. Um, Avengers, which I had in like, I think seventh or eighth Those grade are uh, patent leather, patent leather. Yep. crazy anything with patent leather like um uh, what else of course like pigeons like everybody liked those but yeah. i would definitely wasn't gonna like fucking do you have a good those. like like sb story like a like if you think about like whether it's like selling a shoe or trying to get a shoe that you really wanted do you have like a, a story that resonates with yeah the- um i do actually yeah uh, I, it's funny cause this was back, I think in like my early days of high school, like SB dunks were still kind of like popping, but kind of like on their way out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was with my three other friends and we came down here into the city and of course we were like, we were trying to get to hate street to like go to all like the shops and whatnot. And then we kind of got lost and we ended up on market street and then we were like, Oh shit, deluxe is right here. So we're like, fuck it, let's just go to Deluxe and see see what's up. Um, and I we ended up going in there, and they had just like a pile of like SB Dunks, just all against the back wall, and there was like a sale sign like over the S, like over that whole what? pile. So we spent like maybe like an hour just like sifting through that pile and just finding like the Dunks that we wanted. I ended up getting um, a pair of like dunk highs it they're the colorway is called born in the usa or bruce springsteen they have like denim on them what color what color boxes at the time black it's blue blue, blue box blue yeah box. so this is like later like that's SB still era. like a good generation of boxes yeah. i think any when it comes to teal it's that's when it like, got kind of yeah kind of whack yeah yeah and um it had the denim on them which is like super big on sneakers now yeah. i was yeah. like these are fucking sick yeah and um I was like, I was like 50 bucks. Fuck it. I'm going to take them. And I still have, I still wear those things to this day. So it's like, I don't know. It's just one of the, it's just one of those moments where it's kind of like thrifting where you don't know what you're going to get, but also it's kind of like that moment meant so much to me because it's like, I'm with my, I'm with the homies. Like we're just chilling. Like I didn't expect to come up on this and like it just happened, you know, it has like some sort of sentimental value behind it. It's organic. Yeah, exactly. Like at at the time when Nike SBs first came out, there was no, no structure. It was, I'm going to go to, you know, this store with my parents or, you know, this store that my older siblings go to and I'm going to come across something that at the time really has no cultural impact. But when I look at it, there's something that resonates with me. So the first time I went to this sporting goods store called 
Um, actually, no, let me, let me go a little bit farther back. So my brothers used to, and the way I got into skateboarding was through them. So when they were in high school, they were into skateboarding. They skateboarded in DCs and I skateboarded in their, uh, hand-me-downs. It got to a point where one day my brother came home with this silver box and I was like, whoa, like that's a really cool box because typically Nike boxes were like that, like kind of gross, dirty brown that smelled a little bit like that brown and orange yeah, yeah the brown brown and orange and i'm like whoa like that's a really cool box it's shiny whatever and it, i was never allowed into my older brother's room so when i would go in there and he would be in there that's the only time i'd be be able to go in there but this box is just on his shelf and i'm like why is this on the shelf like it, it's a shoe box like it should be in your closet or whatever so he was like no 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 you have to see these so he opened them and he pulled out at the time, it was a, a silver box. He pulled out a pair of, like, black and gum ostriches, and they were the lows, Shit. right? And I was like, these look these look weird. Like, why is the tongue all puffy? And, like, as a kid, you, you had no understanding of, of what SB Dunks were, but to look at the shoe and see, like, like, this material looks crazy. Like, what is this? And then... He basically explained like, oh, like I got these at this sporting goods store. I'm like, oh, cool. And I told my mom, like, I want to be just like my older brother. I want to go to the store too. Like, let me check it out. And going to Copeland's at the time, Copeland's. which is, it, is involved, it, it has evolved into numerous different sporting goods stores being bought out a thousand times. But going into that store and grabbing my first complete deck and looking at Nike SBs, it, it was like, holy shit, like. These are the shoes, like, not that I already currently wear. Like, I was already wearing Nikes, but nothing like this. Like, these looked completely different to what I wore. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was weird. Like, what, what is this? Like, it, it, it just confused me. So, um, the first initial, like, introduction to, like, Nike SBs, Nike SB Dunks was obviously through my siblings. But to understand, like, what that meant... I didn't know until a lot later on down yeah. the line. And that's the thing about Nike SB that a lot of people don't realize is that, yeah, there were sneakers out there, but, you know, you weren't getting, like, you were getting, like, the normal colorways, so yeah. you were just getting, like, the regular GR stuff. I mean, back then, like, everything was kind of GR. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you were getting just, like, the standard colorways, like, you had the red with the white you had like you know just like the every like run-of-the-mill colorway you could have but with sb it kind of opened the door for kind of being more creative oh, with like what colorways we're gonna do on these sneakers like what fabrics we're gonna use like you know it just kind of opened a whole new world like a sneaker is more than just something that you put on your feet it's almost like a as cliche as it sounds it's almost like a canvas yo it's like an it was a educational tool in like the weirdest way possible because if you think about it our I guess West Coast culture was very much less New York uh, Air Forces and basketball shoes. And we were very like stylish in, in, a, in a more like uh, simplified sense. So when we have skate shoes and, and Nike SBs, we're looking at the patterns. We're looking at materials we've never come across before. We're hearing about collaborations with people we've never heard before. And we just want to know like, who is this person? Like, if we're looking at the, like the uncle dunk, right? We're like, who is this guy? I've never heard of him in my life, but I love this design. And it opens up this whole world of like, like graffiti artists that are now involved in this, this world of what is this streetwear? Yeah. What? And then it just opens your mind to like, 
okay, now what is all this? Like, what is streetwear? And then yeah. you discover collaborations, you discover collections and all these different things. And it, it's, it's, that is the, the starting line. It like, just like you mentioned, it is kind of like the catalyst for bringing all these different subcultures together. Of course, there are like other things that, you know, bring these th- types of things together, but SB Dunks, like you said, they brought together like the graffiti artists. They brought together people who are involved in like hip hop. They brought together people who were skating, obviously, um, and people who just like sneakers. It kind of brought all these communities together and kind of made them into what streetwear is today, if you really think about it. I can ensure that to anybody listening and to anybody that's listening, your friends, your fa- whatever, anybody that's involved in streetwear, in some way, shape, or form, it started with Nike SBs. You may have not have bought them, you may have not have owned a pair, whatever, but it started with that 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 intuition or that even that interest or questioning of what these are and who collaborates them. The first time you heard of Stash, Futura, whatever, you heard them from these shoes. Supreme sometimes for for, for most people. Yeah. No. Diamond Supply. When those Tiffany's came out. Oh, yeah. Nobody knew who the fuck did the collaboration. You just knew that there was this guy, Nicky Diamond. Somehow his last name is it's actually not Diamond. But to know that this guy is what produced one of the best SB Dunks or whatever, I mean, that alone blew up his brand. Yeah. And if you think about it, like it was, like you said, it was a learning experience because back when I SB Dunks were like at their peak, I remember it was such a thing at school, like you would trade SB Dunks. And aside from like trading the shoes, you would actually trade like knowledge about like, oh, this is what this is. Like, yep. this is who made this. You what know? box is this exactly. from? Yeah. What year is this from? Yeah. And it was like a tier system. Like, yeah. if it's a silver box, it's at the very, very top. But if it's a collaboration on a pink box, it's up there too. And yeah. it really brought on the first initial wave of, of, of the bartering system. Right. So when you go to it's like some of the first sound like mad hunter gatherers. right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> when you go to some of the first like um, like trade shows there, the dunk exchange, the sneaker con, it revolves around SB dunks. Like obviously Jordan's existed since like 85, but the mentality of saying like, oh, like this Jordan is worth money and I'm going to sell it to this person. It didn't really start to materialize until like early 2000s when dunk started to become a thing it had a it had a different sense of value because i think jordans were tied to obviously like michael jordan and like his accomplishments and what he did for basketball sports sports culture uh and sneakers but i think sb dunks it was a whole different sense of value behind them it's like like i mentioned like i touched on earlier it's more so about you know letting creativity take its course yeah. and it's more so about you know it's it's like when you it's like when you collect anything else it's you want it because it's something special it's something out of the ordinary you know like i don't want to say jordans are ordinary but it's it's a different sort of sentiment behind like collecting that you know of, co- of course and yeah. i think it comes down to just like the wide variety of of shoes and colorways like you could be a dunk low person you could be a dunk high person there's multiple colorways of each there's different collaborations what speaks to you and then when you you know you you jump out of just the dunks then you get the blazers you get the at the time the the p-rod collaborations you get 
I don't know. There's the trainer SB collaborations. Like there's so many different facets of, of, of Nike SB that you can like say like, Oh, like I don't like high tops. I, I wear low top because you know, I like to wear short, whatever. There's something for everybody and there's a colorway for everybody. And there's also a collaboration for anybody. And that's the thing that really, really stands, stands out to me is because, you know, when it came to the, the sneaker game, which is, I, it, which is where, which is pretty much started with Nike SB. You really get to figure out your niche. Like, what do I like? Like, you may start out as a Nike SB fan, but from there you might divulge into, you know, a higher fashion collaboration because they collaborated with, with Nike. Maybe, you know, you decide to delve away from SB Dunks and jump into Blazers and because this is now like that you just love the silhouette like you may have known nothing about higher quality materials until you come across nike sb like it's sort of that is the starting point and you start to figure out what it is that you like because i uh, you tell me because you love you love blazers love them dude one of my favorite nike silhouettes i think my favorite nike silhouette ever and i I love blazers too and i love skating in blazers but blazers isn't my thing so Tell me how you got into Blazers because it's not everybody's favorite shoe. Um, in I think fifth grade, I asked my mom to buy me a pair of shoes, and I I remember when Nike SB used to have like the really really old website. You used to be able to look at basically all the different colors. You used to sort the categories by year, so you used to go to a different year and see like what shoes came Their out website that year. was complicated as shit. yeah it was it was but it was so sick <laughs> it because was. you used to be able to go on there and see like okay if i go back to this year this is what shoes release and yeah. you used to like click on them and learn about them yeah and i just remember seeing the blazers on there and i asked my mom like one day i was like hey mom like can you can you just get me like a pair of blazers and uh this is yeah so this is like fifth or sixth grade and she came home one day and she got me like a pair of like all black blazers damn but they had this print on them and the print was like it was like semi-reflective it was almost, almost like a camo Ooh. and i was like oh shit these are sick <laughs> like like they were just some like random like blazers and i was like oh these are fucking dope like the fact that my mom got them for me and just the fact that they like i was just stunned on and then some some other kid got the same exact ones i was oh, like oh, i gotta retire these damn, now. <laughs> yeah. was there ever a shoe that you like like your your grail when it came to SBs, like to this day, is still um, something that you see and you're like, God damn, I need that. I always, I always was fascinated by the Tweed Dunks. Those are awesome. Um, I just, I'm like a big fan of like plaid and like, because it's like very like menswear or whatever. Yeah. But um, I remember my friend. I think I forget which friend had. It. I think it was my friend AJ in middle school. He had them. I was like, those are so sick. I've never seen that sort of like material on a dunk before. And I was like, the color combination is so fire, like fucking just like different shades of brown and like different plaids. It's like, fuck, I need those. No, dude, that was crazy because they were the first ones. And I think, well, well, Jordan did this too in the way that they use like patent leather and other materials as well. But Nike SB really stretched the imagination for what it is that you can put on a fucking shoe. Exactly. And obviously putting patent leather on a toe cap on a skate shoe, terrible. Probably like, not the best yeah, idea. It's yeah. definitely not the best idea. But like, like to your point, I think the tweeds were definitely one of the top ones that I remember seeing and being like, fuck. Paris Dunks, dude, like 
just seeing like that sort of graphic on a shoe yeah. like blew my fucking mind because like I mentioned before, you had like your Air Forces, you had your Dunks, you had your Jordans, but none of them had like a comic book looking graphic on them. That was yeah. so left field for the time. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I've never seen a shoe like that before, let alone like a Nike sneaker. And like it started the whole idea of things being limited. Yeah, like, exactly. Like who makes a shoe that's of 50 pairs yeah. and only released in this country? Like. Yeah. It was the first piece of streetwear that pissed people off. Yeah. <laughs> like, it really made people be like, what the fuck, Nike? Like, are yeah. you serious? Yeah. And, and not only that, it, it just, it really, it really just, it was, um, it was the, not the pinnacle, but it, it started that whole thing of, of, of streetwear being what it is. Yeah, exactly. It kind of brought that sentiment of exclusivity yeah. to streetwear, to sneakers, um, which, as we always talk about, it's kind of like the epitome of how streetwear got its start and why it's so sought after. Yeah. And I would say like a lot of your, a lot of the brands that you may have know, may know of now started with your affinity of Nike SBs. So like that of Supreme and in, in Nike SB is obviously like one of my first, you know, um, introductions to Supreme. It's like, holy shit, like cement print, like, only Jordans do that. Yeah. Like, who is this company? Why are they so above and beyond and so uh, so innovative? Who are they? And then once you find out, it's like, oh, my God, I'm in love. I'm in love with a brand. This is weird. Yeah. Like, we talked about it. I forget what it was, but, like, like we talked about in another episode, Nike SB is sort of like a gateway drug into, like, oh, getting into, definitely. like, other things. Like you just said earlier, definitely. you know? Like, you know, like, you may not have known about Supreme, but since you skated and like you knew about SP dunks and you saw Supreme dunks, you're like, okay, well who's Supreme and why are they good enough to have a collab with Nike? You know? And that's why Sandy Bodecker is so important in regards to what we're talking about is because he understands the culture of where these things should live, meaning skate shoes. So being able to communicate with somebody in Supreme and be like, you guys are from putting my ear to the streets. You guys are the most important thing to skaters at least within New York or LA, whatever. You guys are important. Let's do a collaboration. You know, Zoo York, you are the epitome of New York skateboarding. Let's do a collaboration. Let's make your collaboration the best collaboration ever, which is probably top five, top it's pretty 10. up there. It's yeah. pretty up there. So to that point, rest in peace to God, man. That I didn't realize how much of an impact one person had on a culture sort of unknowingly to a lot of people. But to say that you brought in this this culture of sneak, uh, he defines he's the definition of a sneakerhead. Maybe not literally. He probably has a fire collection. To oh, honest. for sure. I think I saw him wearing eBay's the other day. <laughs> oh, like that's that's crazy. I mean, he has shit that's like not hasn't even been released. Exactly. I remember uh, there's one pair of dunks that I really like. It's the it's the pair of dunks that I posted on my Instagram story the other day that he made, and the story behind it is that. He went to a fabric store in New York and, or actually no, in Portland. And he just brought him back to the studio and he just made a pair of dunks like right then and there out of that fabric. What? They're called, the color is called porcelain, porcelain dunk. So it's uh, kind of like an off white with like a blue, like, uh, like porcelain type print Holy on it. Shit. And I was like, that's so one of one. Yes. Holy I'm, crap. I'm assuming. Yeah. Is it? I mean, like, yeah, like you said, it's just it's crazy to see how influential one person can be on such a huge part of what pop culture is today. You know, sneaker culture, streetwear. You know, that one like influential person 
that changed everything for like the landscape of you know all the shit that we like yeah yeah definitely rest in peace let's switch gears and talk about another very influential person in in our culture let's talk about jr smith real quick (laughs) now we may not be the biggest basketball analytical people in the world but when a guy has supreme tattooed on his entire calf it's worth talking about i think so yeah it is definitely worth talking about and i have a hunch and I, I may be wrong. And to those that have seen J.R. Smith, I believe he's still playing for the Cavs. Fuck it. I don't know. He's he's playing basketball still in the NBA. But if anybody has seen pictures, he has literally what could be the most obnoxious tattoo in all of tattoos. Supreme tattooed across his entire calf. Now, he's a six foot something guy. And that's a long ass tattoo. It's a bold ass tattoo. Now, the thing about this and why it's culturally important is because the NBA is going to fine him every time that he doesn't cover up the tattoo during league play. Yeah. And what that fine is, I don't know, tends to be in the couple of thousands, almost tens of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. So that just brings up the question. First of all, would you ever get a Supreme tattoo that big? No. That answers that question. And the second question is, why would you get a Supreme tattoo that big? Ah, oh, fuck. I don't and do know. Do you think there's a there's um there's other stakes at play within that tattoo? What do you mean, like a like some sort of like motive behind getting that exactly, tattoo? Exactly. Exactly. So I'm gonna use this as a good example. And to those that are listening, you may know of a guy named Rob Deerdick. Everybody knows a fantasy factory, Robin Big, ridiculous. Man, rest in peace, big dude. Oh, man, that's a, what that, a that loss. Was a tough one. Yeah, but Rob Deerdick got the entire Monster logo, the energy drink logo, tattooed on his back. That means he is for life a Monster drink, energy drink supporter. They paid him over a million dollars just to get that tattoo, right? Yeah. What could what? And I'm, I'm just thinking of this hypothetically because maybe J.R. Smith is just a big Supreme fan. I don't know. I highly doubt it. I think he's just a big Hennessy fan. And one <laughs> night he just... Why didn't he just get a Hennessy tattoo Shit. then? A Hennessy ball or something tattooed on his on his, his bicep or something. But to have Supreme tattooed on your leg, it brings up this question of, is Supreme trying to involve themselves within a... What's the correct term? I wouldn't say it within athletic wear, but more of like a mainstream outlet. That being the NBA. Uh, I don't know if it's necessary like Supreme doing this saying, hey, JR, here's X amount of money. Go get this tattooed on your calf. Cool. But I think it is a win for them because he's literally walking ad space. Like every time you see him on TV... If he gets any PT, first of all, I mean, he probably, whatever, uh, we can talk about basketball yeah. another time, but, um, I think, I mean, it's a, obviously it's like a win for them because now NBA fans that might not have known who Supreme is, they're like, why is J.R. Smith getting a tattoo and why is it such a big deal to the NBA? Kinda, and what is that? Exactly. Kind of, we were talking about this earlier. You can kind of liken it, maybe not on such a big scale, but. You can kind of liken it to Michael Jordan wearing Nike shoes, you know, red, red, red shoes, Nike whatever. shoes. Yeah, exactly. And suppose allegedly, I don't know if the stories are true or not, whatever, but getting fined by the NBA and having Nike pay 
those fines for him every time. Every time, just to wear those shoes. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily has such a big impact, like Nike Jordan, but I don't know. It's definitely putting Supreme once again at the forefront of headline. Exactly. Like everybody's minds. Like who is Supreme? Why are they such a big deal? Why is this so important for my favorite basketball player? You know what it is too? It's the fact that the NBA realizes that what Supreme is because like Supreme can mean anything. Like it's a word, but for them to recognize what Supreme is and to give them that recognition and saying, Hey, you can't have that on your leg. Yeah. You have to cover that up. That's a, that speaks volumes exactly. to their impact. That means there's there's um there's brand awareness. We know who Supreme is, but to say that you can't have that now it may be two things, and I don't understand the the logistics of you know the NBA's rules and regulations. But I know when it comes to major branding, the NBA is completely against it. So if it's not a brand that the NBA completely supports or is in partnership with then if if it's being basically if it's getting free advertisement it's within their realm of them to be able to say no like you can't be there yeah but i i saw a tweet by damian lillard um well if you guys don't know he's a basketball player too uh (laughs) but anyways he brings up the val he brings up a valid point like does the nba own jr smith's body like how are you going to tell somebody you know like you know most nba players have tattoos who is the NBA to say that, hey, you can't have this tattoo? Most players you know? in the NBA have a tattoo of Jesus. Yeah. But you don't see NBA commissioners being like, yo, you got to be all representative yeah, of all religions. Secular, you know, like we can't have, yeah. You got to have you know? Buddha and the Hindu gods on your, like you, there's there's no all-inclusive tattoo and and for Supreme to be there, it, it's amazing. I, I love the fact that he has it. It's really stupid, but I think it's really cool at the same time. Yeah. But the, I still think that, and this is just hypothetical, but I still think that Supreme, in their expansion of being a billion dollar company and expanding to other stores all over the world, I think they're they're taking somebody that's, I would say, pretty problematic within within the NBA, pretty like headline no matter where he goes always in the pictures, always in everywhere. I think they're using that, maybe not like directly, but using that to their advantage to be like, hey, now that the NBA knows who we are, now that we're releasing like Supreme shooting sleeves and we have a Supreme Nike collaborations every year and Supreme like, I mean, they had jersey. A, they had a Supreme NBA collab like not like too NBA, long ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, do we want to get into this space to advance ourselves even further because obviously like basketball culture is huge in America. It's huge in China and Asia. Is this something that we want to like sort of dip our toes in? Could this be a new, a new endeavor for us? Like a, just a new Avenue yeah. as opposed to like being quote unquote escape brand. Cause think about, think about the type of people that were Supreme. You see them all the time in China. It's a lot of Asian kids about my height all in China wearing Supreme, wearing Jordans, Off-White, whatever. These are the brands that are like synonymous with just like all of like hip hop culture and everything. So it's like, why not expose ourselves a little bit more and give ourselves a little bit more sort of airway to like show ourselves that, yo, we're a cool brand. We're in the NBA. We're in skateboarding culture. We're everywhere. It's it's just another outlet. Yeah, I think... 
I don't necessarily think Supreme needs publicity. Oh, they they already have enough, <laughs> enough as it is. But I think like it doesn't. It definitely doesn't hurt them yeah. at all. Um, of course, like J.R. Smith is one of the most like memeable people in the Dude, NBA. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. And uh, you know, there comes some risk with that. But I think overall, it's like a win because. Ooh, I I think I got I think I got it. So, who was the who was the holding company that invested that invested in Supreme? I forget the name off the top of my head, but Is it's that some random. LVMH? No, not it LVMH. No, 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 no. It was some random like investment firm, hedge fund. I don't know. What if? So LVMH is Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy, Hennessy. What if LVMH got them to pay for the Supreme thing, and because Louis Vuitton did a collaboration with Supreme, they're looking out for them because he's such an avid Hennessy drinker. And they're doing like this. Oh, okay, maybe fucking I'm, conspiracy <laughs> streetwear conspiracy. It's like a streetwear Illuminati or yeah, some shit. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh man. Well, I mean, I think it's cool. I would definitely not get that. I don't think I would ever get a a, a branded tattoo like that unless they're paying me a shit ton of money. And even then, I would still kind of hesitate on whether or not I would want. Yeah, I'm that. getting a small one. Yeah, <laughs> the small little box logo on the yeah. inside of your arm. Oh man, I think I think that's it, man. I think that was good. I think we covered something that's near and dear to our our hearts, which is obviously um, Nike SB, and because all of our origins sort of uh, sort of start with that. And I mean, shit. What is what else is there to say, man? Like episode fifty-seven. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I mean, we enjoy every week of, of recording, but I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening as always. Uh, that's episode 57. We'll catch you next week. Yo, don't forget, if you'd like to continue the conversation, be sure to follow us at No Chance Podcast on all social platforms. And make sure to use the hashtag HeyNoChance so we can see your questions to address on future episodes. We'll catch you later. Peace. Peace.